North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our weekend service. This is entitled, Blessed to be a Blessing. Got all kinds of things coming up the next few weeks at North Shore Vineyard. We opened up sign up for our three is enough groups for Lent. Also, we got a men's retreat coming up in two weeks and all kinds of other things you can stay up with by keeping up with us on our Facebook page, North Shore Vineyard Facebook page, or follow us at northshorevineyard.org. But for now, let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. I had to break down. I had to break down. I was borrowing my wife's leopard print ones for a while. But they kept saying, you look like you're wearing women's glasses. I'm like, well, I don't care. I think I rock this look. (laughs) Well, we have been going through the lectionary for about a year and a half. And so the lectionary is just a collection of passages for worship that churches from around the world. It's an ecumenical uh, book. And so the, the passage for today is one that I would not normally uh, pick out, but is what came up. So here we go. Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. With an intro like that, I'm sure you're excited. Um, Shout it aloud. Real quick, this is a prophet delivering God's message to the people. So just so you know, it's kind of God talking through the prophet. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed it? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is, the, is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? <clears throat> when you see the naked, to clothe them. 
and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer your cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise like the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail, your people will, will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repair of the broken walls and restorers of the streets and dwellings. <laughs> Real quick, uh, I've got my relate notes up here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, that's not what we're going to do this morning. Although Relate was really good last week. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Back in 2009, we decided to plant a church called North Shore Vineyard. And when when you are going to plant a church with the National Vineyard Organization, they make you go through this pretty lengthy process. You got to fill out this massive application. You got to be interviewed by pastors and evaluated psychologically. (laughs) I guess I slipped through. Um, And as part of, once they sign off on you, then then they have some assignments for you to do as you get ready to to launch. And one of the assignments is you have to come up with 18 18 months worth of messages to speak on the weekends. You don't actually have to have the messages in their entirety, but you have to have some kind of game plan. Um, This is what I'm going to talk about for the first 18 months. This is brilliant, by the way, because at that time when I was at the vineyard in Kenner, I was speaking once every, you know, four to six weeks, two months. And so I would would usually spend about 40 hours in preparation for my messages, which were like 17 pages in type notes. Um, It was a very rude awakening to have to say something Every Sunday, you know, you get done with one message and it's like, oh, man, now i got to do that again next week. Um, so so they, they give you a plan, you know, come up with a plan. So for about a year and a half before we launched into the process of church planning, I had been working on what I thought might end up being a book. Um, I was going to call it Life Connected. And the whole concept of Life Connected, which, by the way, is on the front of your bulletin, was learning how to live a Christianity that is connected with God in worship but is also experiencing transformation within dealing with issues that get in our way, but is also done within the context of, of, of community, not, not going it alone, but, but, but working out this relationship with God among people. And then also, not just focusing on Christian community, but being salt and light and, and looking to touch the surrounding society and engage with the culture. <clears throat> so I thought, well, maybe I'm not writing a book. Maybe this, this stuff that I've been studying and reading and writing about for this past year and a half or two, maybe this is actually the Holy Spirit work in me to prepare me for a church. Maybe this wasn't for a book. Maybe it was for a community of faith. 
And so I thought, well, here's my plan. I'm going, that first year of the church, I'm going to spend three months talking about how we are connected to God. And then I'll spend three months talking about Christian community. And then I'll spend three months on talking about how to engage with the culture. And then I'll spend three months talking about the inward journey. It sounds like a great plan. It seemed like a good idea at the time. But I found in reality, I wasn't prepared for how hard it was going to be. I found within three weeks of trying to talk about our connection to God, isolated by itself, that it was almost impossible because I kept running across passages from the Old Testament to the New Testament that link our worship of God to how we treat other people. We like to divide these things up sometimes, but in the Bible, you can rarely find passages that talk about how we worship God that are not connected with actually how we treat other people. And so after about three weeks of doing that, I gave it up (laughs) and decided I got to get another plan. So much for my 18-month plan. But I came across verses uh, all throughout the Bible that, that mention this concept, well, one is from 1 John 4.20. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they haven't seen. You know, we can be great at worshiping and doing all this stuff, but if we walk out these doors and, and, and we're hating on other people, then we're not really in relationship with God. Or John 13, 35, Jesus said this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The, the identifying mark, if you were a, a, a Jew in the, under the old covenant, the identifying marks of your life that set you apart, the markers of the faith were circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, kosher laws, things like that. But Jesus says the thing that, 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 that people should recognize the markers of your life that say that you are one of my followers, it's not in how much you read the Bible. It's not how solid your doctrinal views on things are. It's not your position on social issues. It's not how much Christian radio you listen to. It's not how big the house is you you live in or the car you drive. It's not your Christian t-shirts or your bumper stickers. It's how you love one another. By this, they will know that you're my disciples. It's not that any of that other stuff is bad, but as we see in the passage today, there is a clear link between our worship and how we treat other people. So God talks to these people in Israel, and he's he's very hard on them. (laughs) Shout like a trumpet, let this rebellious people know what they're up to and how displeased I am with them. But I find it interesting in this passage, Jesus, uh, God is in the Old Testament, and they didn't know Jesus yet, so God speaking through this prophet is, is, is rebuking them, not for breaking like the Ten Commandments, not for adultery and lying and stealing and stuff like that. He's not re- rebuking them for, you know, kind of the paganism of the other surrounding cultures. He's actually telling them they're very pious, These were people who were worshiping God, who were praying and fasting. But they would finish praying and fasting and they'd go out and treat each other horribly. (laughs) You know, fasting was actually 
quite common in the ancient Near East. It was not something that the that Judaism came up with. Uh, the whole ancient Near Near East, that whole area, uh, fasting was a common practice. But here's the way fasting was different for them from what you you hear God describing here. In the ancient Near East and the, and the religions that existed around there, you would fast and pray, but it was always with the uh, with the aim of getting God to do what you wanted him to do. I got to get God to back my agenda. So for instance, if you're a farmer and you wanted your, a good harvest, you would fast and pray. You would dress up in sackcloth, you know, like burlap underwear and a burlap shirt, and you cover yourself in ashes and you, you know, get miserable. And, and the thinking was that the, the more miserable you could make yourself, you jump through those hoops and you curry favor with the gods. And so whether it was a business venture or trying to get pregnant or trying to win a war or something like that, you would fast and pray. But it was always about you. And God says, come on, you think it's impressive to me how you go on fasting and praying and dressing up in sackcloth and ashes and going through all these things. You think that, that, that I'm just looking for you to humble yourself? You, you think that that actually pleases me? Like, I just want to see you grovel and, and uh, do all that? That's not what I'm after. Now, it's interesting here that God doesn't uh, condemn the practice of fasting, but he reconfigures it. He says, if you want to fast... How about you give up eating some of the food you have and share your food with hungry people? How about you start treating your employees better and not just treat your employees uh, as means to your ends? How about you seek justice? How about you remember the poor, the needy, the oppressed in your community? Then... Maybe I'll hear your prayers. You want to know why I ain't answering? Why it appears like I'm not interesting? Because you're just acting like it's all about this religious ritual. It's, it's nothing to do with that. You know, in the last 50 years, there has been the rise of what has been called uh, the prosperity gospel in, in the United States. And the prosperity gospel uh, has, has been wildly popular in America uh, there probably would be no Christian television apart from a lot of the prosperity gospel preachers. Not that everybody on Christian television is a prosperity gospel, but it certainly helped launch this whole field of Christian TV. But the, but the very heart of the prosperity gospel is you do all these things to get God to bless you with health, with wealth, with prosperity, and, and that's the whole point of your relationship with God. And it's no wonder why, I mean, we love that idea. Like, I'm just going to do these things for God. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to show up at church. I'm going to drop a little extra in the, in the offering. And God is obligated to bless me. But the reality is, you made it all about yourself. It's no different than what the Israelites were doing here. They were trying to get God to bless their agenda rather than stepping into God's agenda. And this is the real difference between the gospel and the prosperity gospel, which I believe is a false gospel because it doesn't have to do with the purposes of God. For, for, for the world, it has to do with me and my stuff and my prosperity. See, the question isn't getting God to bless us, 
but finding what God has blessed and participating in that. I mean, if you look from the first, first chapter of Genesis all the way to, to, the, to the end of the Bible in Revelation, you find that God is looking to involve human beings created in his image to be stewards of this world, to show what God is like to creation, to rule and reign on his behalf, to reveal what God is like. That is participating in God's plans. But the moment we start making it about me and my stuff and my prosperity and my health and my wealth and my position, we've opted out of that plan entirely. This kind of reminds me, as I was reflecting on these passages this week, it reminds me of something that, that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. I won't read it out. I'll just tell it to you, basically. Uh, Jesus, in this passage, he talks about how at the end of, the end of things, before another era... <laughs> He says he's going to gather all the peoples of the world together the way a, a shepherd would, uh, you know, gather his sheep and goats and, and, that the, and that Jesus will separate the sheep and the goats. And he says that the, to the sheep on the right side, he'll say, come in, blessed of my father and into your inheritance and to everything I have for you. Because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison and sick, you, you came and visited me. And I love the reply of the sheep. They're like, uh, <laughs> like when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or, or sick or in prison or naked? When did we ever see you and help you out, Jesus? I mean, last time I checked, I, I never bumped into you, Jesus. And Jesus will reply, to the extent you've done these things to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. Again, we see this connection between following Jesus and caring for people. Now, I think that the reply of the sheep is interesting because it's like these people have gone about their lives and they don't even realize they're doing spiritual things. And if you've ever tried to help people, <laughs> whether feeding the hungry, visiting people in prison, or sitting with sick, pe sick people, it's not glamorous, is it? I mean, really, come on, let's be honest. We can get excited about all the people we're going to help, but if you really endeavor to help people... Uh, it's messy business. Getting your hands dirty. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, you just got to navigate all kinds of different issues. And sometimes you get hurt in the process. And it's, we'd rather not do a lot of that stuff because it is so messy. And it doesn't feel spiritual. Feeding hungry people, it doesn't feel like worship. <laughs> Visiting people in prison, it doesn't feel like the ecstasy of singing songs with other people or praying or having a, a quiet time. It doesn't feel spiritual. And yet Jesus said, to the extent you fed hungry people and, and, and gave thirsty people something to drink, the extent you, you visited prisoners and, 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 and sick people, you've done it to me. This is a spiritual thing. 
And in fact, the message of both Jesus' passage here and the, Matthew, uh, the, the Isaiah passage, it's the same kind of message. We cannot divorce our piety from the way that we live our lives in treating other people. The good news in this passage in in Isaiah comes in verse 8. It says, if when you fast, you set aside some of your food for those who don't have, if, if you seek justice, if you seek to help those who are less fortunate than you, if you make that a lifestyle of not just trying to get your little bit and, 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 and preserve your own self, but if you're, if you're giving sacrificial and, and, and taking care of other people, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll, you will cry for help and he will say, here I am or here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repair of the broken walls, restore of the streets and dwellings. Here's the deal. If we follow what God is saying here, or what, what we read in Matthew from Jesus, it's not a glamorous road. It requires sacrifice, and frankly, it won't feel spiritual much of the time, or even most of the time. But you will find blessing. See, the wonderful thing about taking this path instead of making it all about me and my money and my health and my resources and what I want, when we move into what God is doing, when the blessings come, we find we're not attached to them. It's so easy to to end up accumulating stuff only to find out that that stuff owns us. You ever been owned by stuff before? I have. (laughs) ever been owned by student loans, uh, you know, it's so easy to have an attachment to our own position, our own status, our money, our goods. It's so easy, you know, I, I, I've, I've shared this on several occasions when, when Dina and I were first married and we didn't have hardly anything, we were really dangerous, uh, not dangerous, uh, generous, <laughs> dangerously generous. I think I got a new uh, sermon title. We were really g- generous. I mean, we didn't have anything. We were living thousands of dollars below the poverty line of the state of Louisiana, which is probably much lower than the poverty lines of other states. And yet we were generous with the little bit we had. And I only found that, that, that it got hard to be generous when I started getting a steady paycheck, when I had health insurance, when things were going good. It's crazy. You'd think it'd get easier to let go of stuff when you go from not having much to to having more and having it consistently. But the opposite was actually true. 
It's so easy for the things that we hold to hold us. But when we get into the pattern of living a life that consistently looks out for other people, that cares for other people, that shows other people compassion, we are stepping into the agenda of God because God wants to show compassion and grace and mercy. He wants to heal. He wants to bring reconciliation between groups of people. And when we enter into that, guess what? We find the very blessing of God in our lives. But when the blessing of God comes to us, because we've been living that way, our money, our stuff, it doesn't hold us the same way it did before because we're not making it about us. You know, when I came to this passage this week, as I said at the beginning, um, I would not normally preach this passage. (laughs) But it came up in the lectionary, so I'm like, okay, here we go. Um, and why, why would I not normally preach it? Because it's dang convicting to me. <laughs> As I'm meditating on these scriptures this week, I'm, I'm thinking about situations, specific situations where it's like, you know, I saw somebody in, in need and, and, and I turned my eye away. Or how much have I been living my life just consumed with my own problems and my own stuff and and not even, uh, you know, having eyes open to others around me. But when we practice generosity, compassion, and care of others, we will find that instead of asking God to bless our agenda, we are participating in what he's doing. And after all, that's what he's been after from the first chapter of Genesis. When I look at the world today, when I look at all the divisions, the vitriol between one group and the next, between Republicans and Democrats, 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 uh, between the rich and poor, between blacks and whites, and, and between U.S. citizens and people of other nations. I think this is the hour that the church can be salt and light in a way that we never have been before. But we can't play the same old game that everybody else in this world is playing. We can't do it. We can. We have that option. But let's not call it Christianity. Let's call it something else. But if we are going to follow after Jesus, we always have to keep an eye out for the weak, the poor, the hungry, the hurting, those who are less fortunate than us. And it is there that we find the very blessing of Jesus We find the very presence of God. We find that we're actually giving back to Jesus himself the way he has richly shown us compassion and mercy and grace when we didn't deserve it or earn it. Well, as Forrest Gump once said, that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) Why don't y'all stand? Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I long so much for these not to just be mere words that we look at on a Sunday morning and then go about our lives. Holy Spirit, I I pray that you would give us the courage to face the things that 
where we may be turning a blind eye to those who are in need, God. I pray that we would have the courage to step out of doing things the way the world does them, and God, that we really would, by your grace, learn to live a life that values and cares for others, that shows compassion and hospitality to outsiders, God. That shows love and care to the least among us, Lord. God, we want to be people who do that, Lord. But this morning, we just admit how, how easily we fail at that, God. Lord, I pray in the days to come, God, you would show us what that looks like, God. Lord, you'd give us wisdom on how to do it, Lord. Lord, that we wouldn't just do random good acts, but that we would be people who could discern what your spirit is doing and partner with you, God. God, I pray for this church, Lord, North Shore Vineyard. God, you have called us to be a light to the North Shore, God. You've called us to be salt, to bring out the God colors in this world, Lord. I pray your blessing upon us to do that, God, that we could feel that in, Lord. Lord, that when the people outside these doors, whether other Christians or other uh, people in this community, from the bar next door to our neighbors and our friends, God, that when they would look at this church, they would say, there's a group of people that love extravagantly, that live generously, that are about compassion and mercy. Let that be true with us, Lord. Let your words be true in our hearts, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.